That's good stuff. There we go. Hello. I'm loud. I'm hot. All right. Very good. The pain you're feeling is just the dark before the morning. Don't ever forget that. Amen. That is now. Come on. Is that good? That's good. I'm coming. Thank you, Craig. I'm coming at night, Craig. I shouldn't tell you that. Don't get overly fired up. But, dude, I think we need to warm them up a little bit tonight. All right? Okay. All right. Don't go, don't, don't go over the top now. All right, just an occasional amen would be all right. Okay, very good. All right. Hey, listen, I kind of wanted to come back. If you want to go and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And this morning we talked about uh, ministry through the roof, kind of a tie-in with the idea of, of the guys tearing away the roof to get, to get, I think we called him Frank this morning, to get Frank in front of Jesus Christ and removing any and all barriers so that lost people could come to Jesus Christ, removing all barriers that the gospel um, could get out um, through the ministry of our church, in our sense, in our local sense, through the ministry of our church. And, and then sometimes that's hard. You know, some of y'all older folks like us, usins, would know, you remember that we, you know, we Baptists are people of the word. You remember that? We're, we're, we're people of the book. We're, we believe in the Bible. And you know, that is like, that's a good thing, that's a great heritage, but we need to make sure it's still true today. And, and I want to kind of go back just like this short, and I just want, you know, I think I may have gone rabbit hunting this morning. If you're a speaker, you know what that means, I may have gotten off track. Jesus said I didn't, but I just, that time sure went by awful quick this morning is all I know. If I didn't go rabbit hunting, I'm not sure what I did. But I, I kind of paraphrased a verse this morning that I really want to make sure you heard very clearly. Because, again, it's when I said, you know, Paul, the guy that was a, a Christ hater, became a Christ lover. Um, Paul, who was Saul. Paul, who, who had families locked up, who had people uh, ordered their execution, who held the coat of Stephen, the first martyr. That, that Paul... Here's what he said about winning people to the kingdom. Let me read it to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, verse number, oh, we'll go and start in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law. I'm not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Here it is. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means... Save some. May I read that to you again? I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do, he says, verse 23, for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker of it with you. That must, that, listen, love demands that that be our attitude. That we would be willing to do whatever necessary that people might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even when it means stepping outside of our comfort zone. Even though it, when it means worshiping in a different way in the sense that, you know, we've added the instruments and stuff. You know, I still know it's uncomfortable for some folks. And for, in some churches, it's a really big, big, big deal. Listen, what matters is that we reach out and touch people in Jesus' name. As you always, you've heard it said now many times, the message must never change but sometimes the methods do. And, you know, Paul also said this. He said this in Romans. He said, you know, I, I could wish myself a curse. Now, I, I could never say this. I could wish myself a, self accursed 
if my brothers in the flesh, according to the flesh, could come to know Christ as Messiah. Paul was saying he would be willing, if he could, he would be willing to separate himself. He'd be willing to lose his salvation. He would be willing to be separated from God if his brothers in the flesh, according to the flesh, his, his Jewish brothers could come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, so I'm telling you, the Bible just commands and demands and love compels us that we remove barriers to bring people, and we need to go through the roof. Then tonight, and this is one thing great about doing a series like this, you get to go back and preach some stories you haven't preached in a long time. I haven't preached that story in a long, long time, nor have I preached this story in a long, long time. And Luke chapter 10, where we hear this great story called the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is ministry. First, this morning, ministry was through the roof. Ministry's risky. It's risky. It's risky to a church. It's risky um, to individuals. Ministry is a time when you're going to get your hands dirty. You may get your heart broken. But if we're going to be and do what? Listen, listen. If we're going to be Christ and do Christ, it's risky. It just is. So I hope God will challenge us tonight through his word to be willing to take that risk. Now, it starts out, and again, please don't let the fact that you're very familiar with the Scripture, uh, don't let it, if you can help it, don't let that rob you the power. Don't let your mind wander because you think you know all the details, all right? Here we go. So the Bible says in verse 25, and a certain lawyer, now let's just pause there. I think you get this, just like today, in a physical sense, in a secular sense, lawyers are experts of the law. A lawyer goes to law school to learn how to handle the law. Well, in this sense, that's exactly true also, except where they're talking about God's law. They're Actually, they're talking about God's law and their law because there was God's law, and then they just kind of added to it, and they came up with like 638 laws that they came up with. So he was a manager. He was a scholar of the law. So this lawyer stood up and tested him. Now, I'll be honest with you. I always thought that kind of meant they were adversaries. And, and apparently, at least to the Holman commentary, that's not necessarily the case. There, there's not the tenor in the Greek that would imply that he's there as an adversary, that this really may have been an honest question. And we notice, by the way, he's sitting, okay, he stood up, he's sitting, so apparently this is in a teaching environment, and when you would speak to the teacher out of respect, you would stand up. And so there's at least some respect there. So, so don't think this guy is there necessarily as the enemy of Christ, although he probably was. He was at least showing respect to Christ. All right. So he stands up, says this teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you haven't circled it in your Bible, you probably ought to circle the words. What shall I do? I want to remind you one more time because I feel it's significant because, you know, Christianity, if you let me put that in quotes, Christianity is so apart from all other religions. In fact, I would not even call Christianity a religion, true Christianity. Now, there's a brand of Christianity out there that has really nothing to do with Christ. It's, it has to do like all other religions. But, but, but Christianity in the sense of a Christ follower is so unusual, so unlike everything else. And I'll explain it this way. You can put over here on this side of the stage, you can put... Now, watch now. Listen carefully. I want you to leave with this tonight. You can put every other religion, all of them. Don't leave any of them out. The mystic religions... The, the uh, humanistic religions, the religions from Africa or Haiti, the voodoo religions. Uh, you can put the, the long-term uh, you know, religions all over here that, that want to mix in works. All the religions over here besides the Christ-following religion, and all of them have do. They're do religions. In other words, 
I have to somehow earn God's favor. I earn it by keeping rules. I earn it from being baptized. Um, I earn it from, uh, from believing a certain thing outside of Christ. Uh, for instance, that you know, you know, the, the Catholics believe in the, that, the, um, that the blood and the juice become actually the blood, in, uh, the blood and the broken body of Christ actually transforms and, and becomes that. They have something in their religion that's a do factor. And in this do factor, they earn the favor of God. Now, standing over here all by themselves, okay, or all by itself, is the gospel. The only religion in the whole world. Now, think about that. That's pretty, that's, that's, don't you think that's pretty amazing? See, that's why you shouldn't be surprised when you go out. If you ever do go out and you knock on the door and you ask people, so, so what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And you get a works answer. It's because grace is so limited in its scope. Because of, of, of the number of religions. Because right here is the Christ factor. And even sometimes you get people, a lot, a lot of people who think, you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they want to throw in some kind of works there to earn God's favor. But if you truly understand this, that this is nothing to do with works. There is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. You truly believe there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. It is 100% God. You simply turning from your sin and believing what, what the Bible says about Christ and experiencing God's grace. Now, understand, okay, when he said, what must I do, the Jewish religion is the same way. The Jewish religion was do, do, do. And certainly by the time Christ comes on the scene, again, they weren't satisfied with 10 laws. No, no, no. They came up with 600, I think it's 638 different laws they added in because, listen, 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 the more they could do, the better they felt about themselves. They could say, well, you only keep 400, but I keep 450, so I'm better than you are. And God certainly smiles upon that because I keep more law than you law, than you keep. So, so over here in the Jewish religion, whatever it is, all these others are do, 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 and then there's grace. And then there's grace. So it was just a normal thing for this, this lawyer to say, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The fact that he was a Jew had nothing to do with it. He very much believed in keeping the law was the way to earn God's favor. Verse 26. So he said to him, well, what's written in law? Now, we're going to walk through this in just a moment. But what's written in law? What is your reading? What is your understanding? You're a lawyer. Um, you defend the law. You know the law. What is your understanding of what the word says? And here's what he says. Well... He answered and said, verse 27, and this is really big. In fact, you know, it's, 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 I told uh, Mary that this is permeating our, our teaching this year, at least my, from my perspective, a lot of our teaching, because I really think we've got to get back to this. So he answered and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You know, and we, I think it was last Sunday night we talked about when Jesus quoted this verse, and it comes from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, you know, he said, on this hinges all the law and all the prophets. I mean, you can, you can sum it down to these two. You're to totally and completely love God, and we'll go over it again there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your feelings. That's your emotions. That's your throne, throne room. That's surrendering to Christ. You shall love Him with your soul. That's the very essence of your being. You shall love Him with all your strength. That is all your abilities and all your actions. And you shall love Him with completely with your mind, and that's your intellect. So, so look, completely, 100%, you are to love God. And then, though, and this, and then this is huge. And then he says, oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Okay, and again, Jesus said in another, another part, another place, he said, you know, the whole law hinges on this. The whole law hinges on this. Love God completely and love people as yourself. Now, I don't know how much you love you, but I, I know this. If I loved you as much as I love me, I would probably be a nicer person. And if you love me as much as you love you, you'd probably be a nicer person too. Amen? I mean, it, it would be game changer. If people were totally and completely sold out to God and totally and completely out to loving one another, it would be a different world. It just would. It just would. So he says then, verse 28, And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you shall live. Now, this is where we need to pause because let me just tell you the truth. Look at me dead in the eye. Here's the truth. The truth is, if you think for one moment, okay, that you can do that, you're lying to yourself. Out in your physical strength and who you are, if you think you, you, you can love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength, you, and if you think you can all of all people, now notice I said all people, not just the nice ones. If you think you can love all people like you love you in your own power, you're just wrong. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, Jesus said, well, see, there is a way. There is a work salvation. All I have to do is do this. There's only two of them. Surely I can keep them. And you can't. It's not possible. It's not completely possible at all. Now, here's the deal. We are saved by grace. Now, I want you to hear something. Because of the importance, we see this all through the New Testament. These are still our commandments. But we don't do them to earn God's favor we do them because we have God's favor. Let me say that again. We don't do them to earn God's favor. We do them because we have God's favor. I mean, my goodness. He sends, Jim is working, by the way, on a new cross for us here like we have there because I'll keep pointing over here and there's no cross. I, I point to the drum set. And the drums, on the drums, you know. And, but no, now I want you to, truly, I want you to grasp this. My goodness, when we think about what Christ did for us on the cross, becoming sin, enduring the wrath of God, all those things that we're so familiar with, when you stop and think what all that truly means, you know, once you've experienced God's grace, you're just driven to love Him that way. How could you not? How could you not love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or at least desire to. Perhaps that's a better way of putting it. Perhaps it's desire to. And because it was so important to Christ, you know, hours for the cross, he said, you know, I give you a new command, love one another. And by loving one another, the whole world's going to know that you follow me. And, and he's fixing to die for us. How could we not desire at least to keep those things? So Jesus is not teaching a work salvation. He's telling the guy, okay, well, if you think you can do that, go ahead. You can't, but go ahead. And that's when the lawyer, again, I don't think he was necessarily being adversarial. He may have been. I don't know. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We really need to pause here. I, I, if I can remember both questions, I, I want, if you're a writer downer, this might be something to write down because I, it's really important. When, when the man said, who is my neighbor, he's looking for limits. He's wanting to justify himself and saying, okay, I, I get that, love my neighbor, but exactly who is my neighbor? How, how far do I have to love that person or persons like I love me? 
Because, you know, listen to this. I made a list. They had different relationship rules for Jew to Gentile, Jew to Roman, man to woman, free man to slave, clean to unclean, righteous to sinner, and more. Everyone had different parameters. And so the man is saying, okay, well, I, I'm just, I get the neighbor thing, but like, who is that neighbor? How far do, how far do I have to extend the love to the person and love him as me? How far do I have to go? See, it's kind of like when Peter, when Peter said to, to Jesus, okay, so Jesus, like, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he offends me? See, Peter wanted to put a limit. We don't put a limit. You know, what's the minimum I can do and get by? That's kind of what we think. And Peter was saying, how many times do I for, can I forgive that? I have to forgive that person, you know, and, and be okay. Be okay. And you know what Jesus said, don't you? He said 490 times, which is infinitely. He said, just keep right on going. Infinitely. Just keep on going, Peter. There's no limit, Peter. There's no limit. In fact, you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, as much as Christ forgave you, you're to forgive others. How much do you want Jesus to forgive you? How much? See, so, so write that down. You know, it's not about, the wrong question is, what is the minimum I can do and get by? The second really, really wrong question has nothing to do with the message, but I'll give it to you anyway is, how close can I get to sin and not sin or make God mad? How close, you know, I really, I really like, I want to sin. I heard Amy Stanley say this this week. I, I really want to sin, so how close can I get to the sin? How, how mad can I be at her and not really sin? How, much can I, how mad can I be at him and not really sin? How many times can I look at her and not be lustful? Are you getting it? That's a terrible question. It's really, if you find yourself asking, I wonder how close I can get to sin without really being a sin or a sinner, watch out. And if you find yourself in your daily walk, what's the minimum I can get by? Listen, aren't you glad God didn't say, I wonder what the minimum is I can do. Maybe we could just prick his finger. I mean, I've heard it said, just one, at least the Southern Gospel song said it, just one drop of blood. Can't we just not, why go through the cross thing? Let's just prick Jesus' finger and get a little blood. Aren't you glad Jesus went all the way? Doesn't his love compel us to go all the way? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's not how close you can get to sin. Without sinning, it's not what the minimum. Love demands our all. Love demands our all. So, to answer this, Jesus tells a story. And again, so familiar, so familiar. So Jesus answered and said, well, here you go. A certain man, and we're assuming this man is Jewish, and that's probably a very good assumption. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I learned today that, that um, Herod had built a winter palace in Jericho. Okay? So high-ranking officials would go from Jerusalem down to, and it is a down to, it's a journey of 17 miles, and it drops about 3,000 feet in elevation. So when it says they're going down to Jerusalem, it's from elevation of Jerusalem down 3,300 feet down to Jericho. And these rich people would walk these paths, this 17 miles, 
going to Herod's winter palace. Okay? So, if that's true, and you understand it wasn't like I-24, it was a curvy, rocky path, there would be lots of opportunities for robbers to hang in there. And so, so the robbers would be there, and so this made all the sense in the world. Oh, yeah, we, we've, called, we've made this journey. This is not a good journey. This, this is a dangerous journey, all right? So, so these, Jesus says this guy was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed leaving him half dead. So here we see the world doing what the world does. My old pastor back when I was saved, Brother Gene Wiseheart, the attitude of these guys was, was what, what is yours is, is mine and I'm going to take it. What is yours is mine and I'm going to take it. We live in a taking world. We live in a world that will take you for everything you worth. We, we live in a world that says, me first, me first, me first. If I have to step on you to climb the corporate ladder, I will step on you to climb the corporate ladder. So this guy, this, this person, probably a Jewish man, fell among these thieves. They wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, 31 through 32, we see these two religious people. The first one says, now by chance... A certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, again, I think we could probably read a whole bunch of that, but we're not going to try to read anything into it. We're going to simply say this, that there are two religious guys. One was a priest and one was a Levite. Now, I've always believed and taught, and and probably not, not a wrong assumption, is that the priest really didn't want to get defiled. And probably the Levite either. Both of them were servant temp, you know, they were they were temple servants. Both of them made their living being holy in the temple. Um, maybe they didn't want to get dirty, defiled spiritually. Maybe they didn't want to get defiled spiritually. Maybe so. But like like we know they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So if the priest was on duty that weekend, he was done. So, so any of the religious restrictions he may have had and the risk of defining himself would not apply. You want to know the bottom line? I really think the bottom line is exactly what it looks like. They don't want to get involved. They simply didn't want to get involved. The priest doesn't even pause, apparently, according to what the Scripture says. The Bible says, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In other words, the, the priest simply, from a distance, saw him and simply went over here and kept right on walking. Apparently, he did not even pause. Apparently, it looks like to me in the language, it looks to me like the Levite at least paused because it said a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. So apparently, the Levite came at least and maybe tried to make the assumption he was breathing or not breathing before he went on his way. Now, it's, it's amazing to me, understand that Leviticus um, 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5, both of them say, love the Lord your God. In other words, the law these, these priests and this Levite believed in said, love the Lord your God with the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Both of them were committed to law. Both of them said, we're, we're men of the book. We're men of the book. We're men of the book. And both of them did not love their neighbors themselves. Figure it out. I can't. Religious guys. I mean, I mean, they made their living being good. And they ignored it. They simply ignored it. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. And guys, we have got to be so careful 
that we get so, and I'm going to put it in quotes for you, so holy we're afraid to get our hands dirty. One of the things that the Pharisees and scribes loved to chuck rocks figuratively at Jesus about was he liked hanging around sinners. And brothers and sisters, I figured out something. We are going to win no one if we don't hang around lost people. I'm not saying you go out to the bar. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you've got to have relationships with lost people if you're going to win lost people. It just is. Play golf with them. Be on the same softball team. Do something to build some kind of relationship. I remember our friend Tim Sadler. That, you know, you dearly love this man. And he, I was talking to him one day about it. He said, Dwayne, let me tell you what I used to do. I would make time. And I would go down and sit for an hour and drink coffee at McDonald's with lost men. And I said, Tim, busy. That's right. And if you're too busy to talk to lost guys, you're probably too busy. Amazing. So these two guys who knew that got it down to two big ones. Love Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love neighbors yourself. Walk by this guy. Walk by him. You figure it out. I can't. Then, in verse 33, a certain Samaritan. Now, again, just in case you don't know, the Samaritans were, were product of a mixed breed, if you will, a mixed marriage in the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Jews there had married into Gentiles, had taken Gentile wives, and they were, half, they were spiritual half-breeds. And the Jews hated them. And they hated the Jews. They hated them. They were just the scum of the earth. And so the Bible says that the Samaritan came by, <coughs> excuse me, where he was. And when he saw him, now watch, watch, watch. This is what's missing in the previous paragraph. He saw him, he had compassion. He saw the man and his heart broke for him. And his compassion led him to action. His compassion led him to action. Now, I know this is a story that Jesus is making up, but that's just incredibly powerful. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 that when Jesus saw the people, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. And when he saw them, he did what? He had, he had compassion on them. Can I ask you a question? And you can ask me later if it make you feel better, but since I've got the microphone... So when you see the dirty, half-drunk, crazed-out-of-his-brain guy walking down the street, what goes through your head? When you see, drive by on Granger Street and some of the homes that, that I get to see there every day, and they're obviously trash in the yard, the kids run around half-naked, what goes through our heads? And can I just be honest and say, why isn't it compassion? Why are we so quick to judge? Why are we so quick to cast a rock? We've not walked in their shoes. We don't know why. And it doesn't matter why they are the way they are. The bottom line is, they're sheep without a shepherd and they need Jesus. 
That's just the bottom line. Well, he had compassion on them. So, so he went to them, in verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He probably took his own garment and started tearing strips and then would tie them around the wounds. He poured in oil and wine. And practically speaking, the oil would have been like a soothing lotion and the wine would have been exactly what you think. You've watched some old Western movies. Ben likes those old Western movies. Pull that cork out of that whiskey bottle and pour that whiskey right in the wound. It's a disinfectant. And this would have been wine. It would have alcohol in it. And he poured it in as a disinfectant. He set him on his own animal. Brought him to an inn and took care of him, in parentheses, took time. Took time. And then, on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii. And you remember what a denarii is? It's one day's wage. So about two days' wage, about three weeks of lodging care. Now think about that. Three weeks. We think we've sometimes done pretty good when we put a person up in a hotel room for one night. Well, he bought three night, or three weeks' worth. And gave them to the innkeeper. And here's what he said. This is the amazing part, probably. You know, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. That was the whole package. It was the whole package. He he bandaged him. He medically took care of him. Two weeks to walk. He gave up his own animal. And he walked. He took him to a place of safety. He took time with him. He poured his life into this man's life and then made arrangements for his future. At least up to three weeks. And by the way, if it costs you more, I'll come back and do it. That's compassion, folks. Compassion leads to action. And this man did that. Now, if you want to have fun, you know, if you want to have fun, you can do this. I'm learning... Like they preachers love this because they want to add all these different means in it. And I'll tell you some of them. We can have fun tonight. Just don't take it home and say what the Bible says. Okay? You know, you could easily say that, that Jesus was reading into this and he wasn't. But Jesus was reading into this that, that this was. Now, this is one thing that's true. This was a rescue. Just like God rescued us, this is a rescue. But try not to read too much symbolism. And again, I say again. Don't read the symbolism in there, but there's so much there you can have fun with and say, boy, wouldn't it be cool if that means that? Wouldn't it be cool that, that when he bandaged his wounds, that Christ bandaged our, our spiritual wounds? Wouldn't it be cool if we could say that the oil is the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the, and, and the wine is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses, that disinfects our sins? Wouldn't it be cool that the inn was the place of safety, the place of rescue, and then, and then Jesus turns to the innkeeper and we get to be the innkeeper in the story and, and say, and Jesus said, now you take care of the world and when I come back, I'll pay you. That's all fun. It's just not what it means. What it means is, is this man had incredible compassion on a person he should have hated. That's what it means. Do you have compassion on people you hate? Do you have compassion on people you have disdain for? I mean, I don't, when someone's as lovable as David, I mean, you love David anytime, you know. But what about the ones you don't? What about the ones you really don't like? What about what about your neighbor? Oh, he never mows his grass in the summer, and you keep yours down to one half inch three times a week. 
you don't have a dog and you don't like dogs and you wonder why your dog, your yard is a dog latrine or why your yard is a dog latrine. Ever wonder that? Do you love people like that? <sighs> Craig, I heard you say that. We don't, do we? We want to judge them and be angry at them, but we don't have compassion on them. And there's a problem because Jesus says, so which of these three, you know, the Levi, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And then G- and the man said, he who showed, say it for me, mercy. He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So the bottom line is, if we look at this story, if we look at our, actually look at our world and this story, and if our world looks like the Levi, Jesus says it's time for a change. And, and he says, if you look like a priest, the priest in the story, it's time for a change. He says, go and do, I want you to be like the one who showed mercy. Who showed mercy again? Oh, the Samaritan the despised Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Jesus says, not only are we to tear a hole in the roof, we need to be willing to take a risk with those least worthy of our mercy. Least worthy of our mercy. Go and do likewise. Now, is that easy? You know why I like the lies? You know why we like the law so much? No. I'm gonna tell you. Because in our little world, there's not 663 or 38 or whatever there is. But of the ones that really matter, most of us do a pretty good job. We stay away from pornography. We stay away from adultery. We wrestle with that gluttony thing a little bit. But bottom line, we're not drunkards. We're not drug addicts. We do pretty good. And we can keep our little set of rules and go, look here, God, not a drunk, not a drug addict, not a sex addict. I'm doing pretty good, God. Smile on, smile on me. Makes us feel good. That's why we like the law. But remember, dating this right, when, when Jesus said you don't keep part, Paul said when you keep part of the law, you got to keep the whole law. And then we say in Galatians, yeah, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. So, so if you're going to keep one, if you're going to do the law thing, you've got to do all of them. And guess what? You can't. You can't. That's why we like it, though. Now, you know why I like grace so much? Because I can't. <laughs> and the more we realize I can't and that he can you fall in love with grace. You fall in love with grace. Go and do likewise. Not to earn God's favor, but because you've experienced God's grace. Not to earn God's favor, but because you've experienced God's favor. And I'm telling you, here's where the old preacher's going this year, and I didn't plan on it, but I think it looks like throughout the year you're going to hear this over and over again. Never are we more like our Heavenly Father when we extend grace and mercy. When we extend grace and mercy.
going to be a long year. Let's pray. I'm not sure what Dave's got picked out, but we're going to let him sing, and we're going to listen tonight, and we're going to pray. Okay, so you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow. Who is, who is it where you work that you're going to have to extend mercy to? There's somebody. <laughs> Dave says, yeah, and he's leading the invitation right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Who is it when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to college when you go to work, who are you going to have to extend mercy to? And I would like for you to pray tonight and say, God, I know that it's not within me to extend this mercy. It ain't going to happen. But I believe that with you all things are possible. I believe that with you all things are possible. And as you have experienced mercy and grace to me, help me now to extend mercy and grace to them. To them. God, you are just so incredible. How I thank you that because of who you are and your character and and, and your nature, You extended this invitation. You extended this invitation to us to come into your family. How incredible. Help us to understand that except by your grace, we could be on a street corner somewhere tonight stoned out of our heads. We could be on computers tonight pouring through pages of pornography. We could be addicted to some kind of a drug. And I pray we're not, but we could be so filled with bitterness that our days are nothing but darkness. But by your grace, would you help us right now to celebrate your grace? And as we have experienced grace, help us to extend grace.